wild blueberries, moon mist ice cream, and taking a ferry to the farmer's market. This week, we're in Nova Scotia, Canada. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast and website for foodies at DestinationEatDrink.com. Here at Destination Eat Drink, we explore the cuisine of the world. And this week, we're checking out one of the Maritimes of Canada, Nova Scotia. My guest is Kevin Durkee from Culinary Adventure Company, a food tour company that lets guests enjoy the best of Canada with foodie tours of Toronto and beyond. I had Kevin on the show several weeks ago, and we got to talking about Toronto, and it was so interesting that I asked Kevin back to talk about Nova Scotia this time. After all, he's an expert on Canadian food culture, and I've always wanted to go to Nova Scotia. So we talk about maple syrup on your cheese plates, the best bakeries in Nova Scotia, sustainable seaweed, and a crazy combination of ice cream flavors. Plus, we visit some French bakeries for croissants and a wild blueberry tart. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Kevin, welcome back to Destination Eat Drink. It's great to have you back on the podcast. We talked about Toronto last time. Had such a good time. I thought we'd do some more Canada talk here on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Mac Brent. It's uh, fantastic to be talking Canada and delicious flavors once again. I wanted to talk to you about Nova Scotia because this is a place that I've wanted to go for a long time. And back when I lived in Rhode Island in the States, they used to have a ferry that would go from, I think it was the Boston Harbor, somewhere somewhere near Boston. They had an overnight boat that would go from Boston to Nova Scotia. And my girlfriend and I, we always intended to take that one weekend during the summer. And it just, for whatever reason, it never happened. They discontinued the boat one year. And so we never got to go to Nova Scotia. So it's always been a regret that I never went there. So I'm really happy to get to talk about Nova Scotia with you today. The maritime region, as you know, growing up uh, and spending some time on the East Coast is a really special spot. And you're absolutely right. Nova Scotia is um, a pack full of incredible flavors, incredible people, and the community there is incredible. So we're thrilled to talk about it this morning. Give me a little lay of the land when we talk about Nova Scotia. For folks who don't know, where exactly is it? Um, what What is the land like there? What language is spoken there? Maybe just a little brief thumbnail. So Nova Scotia is essentially our furthest east province. So on the far east coast of Canada, we have the maritime region that is pretty much made up of Newfoundland, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is the furthest out. And it's an interesting structure and, and you sort of look of the, the province because it's almost entirely surrounded by water. You certainly have the Atlantic Ocean on the far east. You have the Bay of the Fundy, Bay of Fundy, excuse me, just in the sort of center, if you will. And then you've got um, the Gulf of, um, you know, uh, St. Lawrence and a variety of things just sort of on the top. So you've got this incredible province that is really you know, waterlocked in some ways, but it also is providing a lot of connection to the center of the country. You've got lakes and rivers, you've got an incredible bounty of the ocean. 
and you've got a rocky uh, area, the coast itself can be really quite brutal and rough. And the the wind and the ice and the snow and the water can really kind of take its toll. But I think what you end up having then is a province that is ready to fight or ready to dig in and, you know, hearty food and rich, you know, culinary history comes from that region. So it's it's very, very unique for the country. Hearty food and probably hearty people as well. Um, I, I want to talk about Nova Scotia, Kevin, but you said something that I want to just jump back to real quick. You said Newfoundland. And I was when uh, in America, I was always told it was Newfoundland. So can you just clear that up for me real quick? Well, it's sort of like our conversation about how to say Toronto without the last. <laughs> I remember that. It, yes, it's a bit more of a regional spot. You know, Newfoundland, Newfoundland, it's a bit of a mix. So again, it's from the region. It's how you've learned it as a young kid in, in public school. There is really no sort of right or wrong for it. But uh, so we'll take it either way. Um, as long as uh, as long as you're coming to you know leave some money and celebrate the incredible people of the maritime region, we're happy to have any traveler tell us whatever it is. Not a problem. Okay, good enough. You know, one of the things I first like to do when I land in a new spot is to check out the local market. I want to see what produce is in season, what grows well there, also what the local producers are making from that produce. Um, what's the best market when we drop into Nova Scotia? Where should we go first to kind of understand what grows there and what people are making? Well, Halifax is the largest city in the region and the capital of the province. So most people will probably touch into Halifax as sort of their main jumping off point for the region if they get to Nova Scotia. And like most major cities, you will have a major market. The seaport market is probably the largest and the most well-known because it is in the seaport. It's where many of the cruise ships are coming in. It is within the heart um, and a fantastic selection of local bounties. So you're getting cheesemakers, you're getting produce from across the province. We'll talk about some blueberries and a few things, but it's mainly hearty root vegetables. Things that are grown seasonally can always be found. There's a handful of ethnic flavors that are mixed into the market as well. But I think, you know, one of the things I love about running the Culinary Adventure Company and running our food tours in Toronto and elsewhere, and we had tours in, in Halifax and Charlottetown for a short period of time as well and do lots of delicious things across the country. Our passion is always to find sort of off the eaten path, those places that are a little bit more unique, a little bit more focused on local. So my recommendation for one of the best farmers markets is the Alderney market, which is actually across the bay, across the harbor in Dartmouth. It takes a, just a small little ferry ride across. Um, Alderley Landing is where you, you know, sort of, you know, disembark from the ferry. And on the weekends, Saturday primarily, um, and some special occasions through the summer, this little market is sort of the, the little sister of Seaport. But I like it because it's got a little less focus. It's got a little less of that, you know, attention. And so you're finding some interesting flavors. You're getting a little bit more of a local energy. There's some real great ethnic flavors. Uh, over the last number of years, there's a little business that is making Brazilian cheese balls or the queijo de payo. So these little beautiful, chewy, delicious little nuggets. Love those lots things. Of yes, lots of delicious seafood. Um, so I think if it, people want to not only see Halifax from an incredible vantage point across the ferry, a uh, beautiful little trip over to Alderney Market is what I would recommend for your for your travelers. Earlier, you mentioned blueberries. 
And, you know, living in New England for so long, we had wild blueberries up in Maine. There were lots of blueberry growers in Rhode Island. What about the blueberries in Nova Scotia? Well, we're really proud in Canada and particularly in Nova Scotia to be the wild blueberry capital of the world. So Nova Scotia as a province and as a region actually grows and supplies the world more wild blueberries than anywhere else on the planet. Oxford is this great town that's sort of a little bit to the west and headed towards New Brunswick. And it's the center, the capital of this blueberry production. And I think it's a distinction to recognize the difference between a cultivated farmed blueberry, which are those beautiful blue, purpley, chubby blueberries that we might find in our morning yogurt and granola. A wild blueberry will be grown in the summertime, sort of mid-July and through August. And they're small, they're firm, they're they're quite tiny and they grow on a wild shrub. So they're not farmed in any traditional way. You've got these baby little pockets of this blueberry flavor that are just incredible. And so Oxford and Nova Scotia provide more wild blueberries than anywhere on the planet. So if you've ever bumped into a bag of wild blueberries in your local grocer or local supermarket, there's a 95% chance that they've come from this beautiful region in Nova Scotia. So we're super proud of them. They're incredibly delicious. When I think of wild blueberries, I think of, you know, going out and foraging for them, not having them grown on a farm. Is is that the same idea when we're in Nova Scotia? This would be something that you would go and collect somewhere. That's right. These wild blueberries are more foraged. They're more hand collected and, and harvested that way. There is some conventional elements to get them off the shrubs, of course, but they're not done in any sort of traditional cultivated, you know, industrial farm, if you will, smaller plots of land, smaller communities, you know, bringing the blueberries together, making sure that they are um, this really beautiful little purple gem, as I've mentioned, with lots of flavors. So you're finding lots of communities, you know, picking and getting them together and, and making that that harvest really, really important for the province in the summertime. Love it. Um, so besides just grabbing a handful, popping them into my mouth, and just enjoying them on a summer day. Uh, are there any producers who are using wild blueberries and doing interesting or delicious things with them? Well, I think one of the great things about Nova Scotia and Canada in general when it comes to the culinary scene and when you're thinking about chefs, Canada, in my mind, we don't really have a, a type of cuisine. I think that Canadian culinary adventures and what we highlight on our tours is more about the produce. It's more about the product. It's more about the ingredients. And so when we think about the Maritimes, particularly Nova Scotia, blueberries is one of those. So you'll find that chefs across Nova Scotia and elsewhere will use blueberries in maybe a, a deep, you know, decadent sauce for a beautiful cut of meat. Uh, venison, things like that. They'll certainly turn them into sweet treats as well. And you'll find that chefs within the region will use them obviously very, very seasonally. One of my ultimate blueberry favorites is an incredible blueberry and almond tart from LF Bakery. Um, it's a little beautiful French inspired bakery in Halifax. And the owner, Laurent Marcel, um, is French, grew up in around bakeries. He was the son of two bakers from France. When he came to Canada, he settled in Saint-Pierre-de-Miquelon, which is a French territory um, that you know borders Newfoundland. So it really allowed him to get a taste of Canada. And once he sort of arrived here and established here, he found himself in Halifax. And this beautiful bakery, LF Bakery, I believe makes the best little blueberry tart on the planet. Beautiful crisp pastry, packed full of blueberries, nice and sour and sweet and burst a little bit of a glaze, and it's just an incredible treat on a weekend. 
that would that would make it worth going to Nova Scotia just for that. Now you said uh, he's French, and you said there's a French enclave up there. What is the ethnic makeup of a place like Nova Scotia? Because there are areas where Fran- where French is the dominant language, places where English is the dominant language. What what are we looking at when we go to Nova Scotia? And that's the really, you know, fantastic history of the region. Really, the French were the first Europeans to permanently settle in the region, and that was sort of in the early 1600s, 1604. So you had this sort of New France, this Acadia, this focus on the New World from from France. That really was the predominant sort of structure and flavor and community until really the middle of the 1700s when the British arrived. The British sort of took over the area. They displaced much of the French. We do have two national languages in Canada, and that remains today, both French and English. But you're finding that you're getting a bit more of the British, Irish and Scottish uh, influences across Nova Scotia into Cape Breton and displacing some of that French, that original French enclave into New Brunswick, into the heart of the St. Lawrence and obviously into Quebec, which is obviously our French province predominantly. So it's been a mix. French first. British pushed a few people out and then moved them around into New Brunswick and Quebec. So you find that you're getting that maybe traditional French culinary cuisine, but you're then getting not only a mix of the British and Scottish flavors, but I think certainly in the last number of years, finding ways to bring indigenous flavors forward. The Mi'kmaq Indians and the indigenous communities of the Maritimes are also now coming forward with the staples of fish and shellfish and vegetables in that region. So when we talk about, you, you mentioned the LF Bakery and the blueberry tart that sounds delicious. And of course, French bakeries are some of the most wonderful bakeries in the whole entire world. If I'm in Nova Scotia, where do I get my favorite croissant? Oh, well, once again, we're going to take you across the harbor and we're going to take you back to Dartmouth. One of my favorite spots is a little cafe called Two If By Sea. And for your... Uh, listeners to sort of get into the note, don't ever ask for two if by C, they go by TIBS, which is T-I-B-S or the initials <laughs> of it. Good. So if you want to meet up with a friend or if you want to grab one of the best croissants in the region, you got to go to TIBS. It was opened in 2009 and it became really known right away for the colossal croissant, their supersized scones and this sort of beautiful focus on house-made in-house baking. The croissants are one of those things where if you're not there by 11 a.m., they're sold out and they have, you know, special features. They've got classics, of course, of all butter, beautiful, you know, pain de chocolat, lots of great flavors, but they'll definitely have a feature. And much of that will come around seasonal produce. I'm a massive fan when they start to do their peach and caramel ones. We talked about the peach praline pie in Toronto. Um, so when peaches and stone fruit and many of the seasonal flavors come through um, the growing region in, in uh, Nova Scotia, Tibbs and others will start to use that. But Tibbs Cafe in Dartmouth is the best place to head for a coffee and one of the best croissant that you'll probably ever have. We're in Nova Scotia and you mentioned, Kevin, you said it's a maritime uh, province. So we got to talk uh, seafood. And one of the things that I found really interesting when I was researching this, uh, getting ready for this conversation was something called, I think it's Dulce. Uh, maybe it's Dulce, uh, D-U-L-S-E. And it's a kind of uh, seaweed 
which is getting really popular now. You're seeing seaweed on all kinds of dishes in places that are near uh, near the ocean. Um, tell me about this thing called dulse. Uh, how is it prepared? What dishes have dulse in it? How do you try it when you're in Nova Scotia? Yes, dulse is exactly that. It's a local uh, seaweed that is actually red in sort of this dark um, burgundy color, and it's an edible seaweed. This dulse is actually grown on rocks along the shoreline of, of North Atlantic. So you may have seen it, or maybe even folks in Maine and elsewhere would have seen it or start to enjoy it. I think the real power of dulse is that it is a natural, organic, beautiful product from the sea. It's harvested at low tide between June and September. So we're right in that spot where we're going to be starting to see a lot of it come into not only chef's pantries, but as it's processed and enjoyed. And if anyone's ever, you know, swam in the ocean, you realize how salty and beautiful the water is. And the seaweed has that. You've got that salty bite, that richness to it. But once it's harvested, it's typically dried. And so it's dried into this sort of almost chewy seaweed leather, almost like a beef jerky texture. It's got this chewy snap and this richness to it. Um, It's incredibly healthy. One of the things that's really powerful about it is that it's got a massive amount of vitamin B6, B12, iron, and all the potassium that you could possibly enjoy. So many producers are just harvesting it. They're cleaning it up, they're drying it, and they're putting it into little bags very much like a beef jerky or something that is a snack, chewy and enjoyed. Many are using it like uh, kombu, where you are taking it and uh, like a Japanese preparation putting it into a stock or into an incredible broth and bringing that salty flavor forward. Maybe you're making a broth for a beautiful seafood dish or, um, you know, tossing it in with some mussels to give a little bit more of that earthy, incredible flavor that's coming from the sea and that richness. But my preferred way to enjoy it is just sort of au naturel. Um, As I mentioned, grab a little bag that has been dried and ready to go. And it's a beautiful, salty little snack to enjoy anytime through the summer. Sounds delicious. I love that brininess of it, but also you get that chewiness. Uh, that's why I love uh, sea- seaweed as a dish. And also, like you mentioned, it has so many nutrients in it. It's so good for you, and it's super sustainable. So this is a this is a great. Di- I I'm convinced seaweed is going to be the next big thing that we start seeing in the culinary world if it isn't already. It's certainly there, Brent. You're absolutely right. And, you know, Dulce and, and what we're producing in the East Coast of Canada is going to be part of that complement that we get to look at. Many of these not only have the incredible nutrient values that I mentioned, um, but some, you know, seaweeds around the world are providing, you know, great sources of protein, um, other ways to sort of coagulate and to enrich and to gelatinize lots of other things as well, because the structure of this incredible seaweed has that chewy, beautiful um, firmness and that can be brought in so we don't have to use animal gelatins and things like that in in flavors and ingredients and recipes. So uh, the sea is going to feed us in the years to come for sure. I forgot about that. Another great point about the gelatin that you can use with seaweed. Good point. Um, Kevin, last time you were on, you were talking about uh, Canadian cheese and you had me convinced Canadian cheese uh, belongs at the top with um, uh, French, Italian, and American cheeses. Um, talk a little bit about what kind of cheese we can get in Nova Scotia. 
just a little bit. Okay. We'll <laughs> You're a cheese guy. Yeah. So <laughs> in fact, you don't even have to self-edit. Go ahead and just wax poetic about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Brent. Actually, I'm going to spend um, most of my time letting the world know about my favorite blue cheese. Um, blue cheese is an interesting thing. It is for a lot of folks around the world can be quite polarizing, particularly here in North America. We, you know, we had a lot of Danish and strong and really, you know, um, really pungent blue cheeses coming in in the 70s and 80s. And for many of us, that's what we grew up on. Um, buffalo wing with a blue cheese dip and yep. sort of this weird sort of acidy kind of energy to it. We didn't really have subtle, sweet and nuances of blue cheeses that are found around the world. Um, a number of years ago, I was introduced to an incredible business called Blue Harbor Cheese. And again, they're found in Dartmouth. So this is almost like the, the Dartmouth uh, podcast today, but it's sort of the Brooklyn, if you will, to, to Halifax. It's got that sort of edgier focus with artisanal producers and lots of delicious things happening. But Blue Harbor Cheese is an, is an artisanal cheese producer. They specialize, obviously, in traditional and not so traditional handmade cheeses. But I think one of the best things about this business is that it is almost predominantly women-owned and led. Lindell Finley is the cheesemaker and owner. And when she started the business in 2013, she wasn't represented in Canada. She wanted this passion of making cheeses, wanted to focus on really great local quality using incredible Nova Scotian milk. But she, you know, was sort of a trailblazer and she continues to lead an incredible team led by other cheesemakers in her group, like Catherine and a variety of others. But they decided to sort of lean in heavy on blue cheeses. And the blue cheese that I am absolutely addicted to is a product that they call Urban Blue. And as I mentioned, it's my favorite blue cheese in Canada. And frankly, I've not had a better one uh, almost anywhere. But the difference with this particular one, it's a triple cream and it's a dolce flavored. It's the sweetness and the richness and the inspiration from a gorgonzola, if you will, from Italy. It's that buttery creaminess and softness. But it also has this complexity that is not only sweet, but meaty. It has a rich buttery note. It, I call it a starter blue. We do a lot of mm. cheese tasting at the Culinary Adventure Company. And a lot of people, as I've mentioned a moment ago, get their backs up and, oh, I don't like blue cheese. And I ask them to just trust me. Because when you take a little piece of this beautiful urban blue, you drop it on your palate and you close your eyes for a moment and you just let it swirl around. Yes, there's that little sharpness of the blue coming forward first. But most people, if they give it a second, they're going to get an entire incredible you know, flavor of pan fried buttered mushrooms, this oh, wow. richness, this sweetness, this earthiness that comes from it. It's incredibly unique, incredibly delicious. And even the look of it, they make it in this long loaf. Um, so it's a shorter square loaf. Um, and these beautiful slices have the incredible veining going straight through. And it's a gorgeous piece to have on any charcuterie cheese board. But again, with this sort of triple cream, this richness, this sweetness, it's not that sort of powerful knock your socks off kind of effort of like a Maytag blue cheese or a heavy Danish blue cheese. It's subtle, it's sweet, it's meaty, a little drizzle of Canadian maple syrup or a local honey um, from Nova Scotia just absolutely pops it. It is incredible. And you probably have heard and hopefully your um, listeners have as well, 
my mouth has been watering as I've been explaining that. <laughs> so it is really a favorite of mine. So Blue Harbor cheese, they make a few other um, options, some washed rind and some other cheeses, and they're always continuing to innovate. But their signature, the top of the heap, is the Urban Blue, um, and it is something that you need to try. One thing to note in Canada and like elsewhere in the world, we have sort of three levels of cheese production. We have a local market system where you can be licensed to sell just within your sort of geographic region. You have provincial licensing, which means that if I produce it in Nova Scotia, I can sell it anywhere in Nova Scotia. But then you need to have federal licensing, which takes you out of um, Nova Scotia and be able to be sold and enjoyed everywhere. Only till about two, maybe three years ago now, uh, Lindell and her team were only provincially licensed. So it was something that I had to travel to Nova Scotia for. I had to fill up my suitcase and bring it home. Wow. But recently they've been able to have federal licensing. So now I can find it in um, you know my local cheese shops. I can buy it from Lindell directly and, and get it into some of the things that we do at the Culinary Adventure Company. Um, so anyone headed to the Maritimes needs to um, really source it out. It's incredible. I love this idea of the urban blue. And I'm telling you, Kevin, this is how we're going to get my girlfriend to like blue cheese. Because she's one of those people that you're talking about that hasn't had great experiences with blue cheese. I love it. She's been more reluctant. So this is going to be her entry point into uh, blue cheese, the urban blue. And it's made by women, for women. So it is an incredible story as well of, you know, artisanal entrepreneurship and innovation. And these incredible women are making something really spectacular. So yes, I think we've got her. We've got something for her. Another thing you mentioned about the cheese that I found fascinating, something that I didn't think of before that makes total sense was you said, uh, you know, pairing the cheese with some local honey, which of course everyone knows honey and cheese is a beautiful combination, but you also said maple syrup. It makes total sense. Maple syrup would be a perfect pairing with cheese for the same reason that honey would be a perfect pairing. But I don't think I've ever had maple syrup on my cheese board. This must be a Canadian thing, but I think it's a brilliant idea. I, I think so. It certainly is representing the power and the delicious, you know, efforts of maple. I mean, it's, uh, I think if you prick any Canadian, we probably bleed a little bit of maple syrup somewhere. So it happens. But I think the difference with maple rather than honey, honey can certainly be delicious, but unless you get a variety that has got a real floral note, honey can be quite sweet just on its own. And when you get that sort of warm amber notes of a maple um, from obviously a beautiful, you know, rich, dark maple syrup, it can really counter a lot of the saltiness and a lot of the, um, you know, the other flavors that are complemented on a cheese board or a charcuterie board. So maple syrup is a little bit of an inside uh, tip for, for anyone in the world. If they can get the good Canadian Quebec maple syrup, as we spoke before, um, some great Canadian cheeses, a little, a little goes a long way. I want to talk about a sandwich in Nova Scotia called the Donair. Um, you know, I, of course, living in Europe, I'm familiar with the Donair kebab, which sounds like its cousin. We've had it in Berlin and places like this. It's, uh, you know, you've got Turkish people all over Europe, so you see this everywhere. But I'd never heard of the Donair until I started researching Nova Scotia. Tell me about the sandwich a little bit, if you could, Kevin. Well, the Donair is really very much, again, another sort of quintessential Canadian culinary story where a lot of flavors and um, cuisine sort of came together to make this really unique dish. 
it really started in the late 60s and early 70s when a lot of Greek immigration came into the East Coast, into the Halifax region. Oh, okay. Greek families were coming. They were establishing businesses. They were using Canada as the new home and the new world. And a gentleman by the name of Peter Galamakis um, had a little pizza shop in Halifax called Velo's Pizza. And originally from Greece, he wanted to sort of start to extend and to offer a few different things. And he was making an Eero style sandwich. So just like you were talking about something that is for more towards Greek, you know, grilled meats, you know, put into a pita, um, lots of different flavors. But Canada and Canadians at the time, we were really a little bit reluctant to the lamb and to the yogurt-based tzatziki that it was putting into the, this incredible Eero. Now, of course, it's a staple across the country. But back in the early 70s, particularly in the Maritimes, a little bit more, you know, remote working class, maybe not as many flavors available to the palate at that time. They're like, ooh, we're not exactly sure what this is about. So he actually started to redevelop the sandwich, this beautiful doner. And he substituted the lamb for a spiced beef. He also made a sweeter sauce using evaporated milk and moved it closer to the Turkish doner, where, which was more of the lettuce and the tomato, the sweeter sauce and the spiced beef. And it immediately took off and it became very, very successful and became a destination for Halifax. He eventually opened a little business uh, shortly thereafter called the King of Doner and is obviously a running staple um, to this day and is very much an icon. But I think the diner is, is one of those things where the sweet sauce is a bit of a surprise. You think of a tzatziki with that rich yogurty cucumber garlic punch where you've got a sweet sauce, the doner sauce, which is now a dip for almost anything across the region. It's quite sweet. And it's surprising if you don't sort of know what you're biting into first, but it really complements the chewy, rich, you know, decadent pita and the incredible spiced beef that's there. So it's a little bit of a regional specialty. Um, but trust me, uh, when you try it, and certainly any of your audience tries it, they'll be hooked. It's uh, it's a flavor now that has become synonymous for the region. You can get denaire flavored potato chips. You can get oh. denaire, you know, dipping sauce for your pizzas and a variety of things. It's very much the Halifax and Nova Scotia icon. Like we talked about Putin being sort of recognized for Quebec, the Denaire is definitely the king for uh, Nova Scotia. It's the uh, it's the ranch dressing of Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it, for sure. Um, speaking of sweets, I want to talk about ice cream real quick because uh, one of my favorite websites, I don't know if you're familiar with this, is uh, Gastro Obscura and they go through dishes, regional dishes, unusual regional dishes. And uh, I, I love, whenever I go to a new place, I always go to Gastro Obscura to find out what I should be trying. And when I looked up Nova Scotia on Gastro Obscura, I came up with something called Moon, moon Mist, moon yeah. mist Ice Cream. <laughs> so I said to myself, I got to ask Kevin about Moon Mist Ice Cream. Yes, you're absolutely right. Now, Moon Mist is an interesting thing. Again, it is super regional and you pretty much only find it in the Maritimes, particularly in Nova Scotia. To describe it to your listeners, it is um, a mix of flavors in one ice cream. When we think of sort of the classic or maybe the most original mixed ice cream, you need to go back to something like a Neapolitan or what was also called Harlequin ice cream from Italy. And historically, that was a mix to represent the Italian flag. You would have a green or a light white uh, flavor, typically pistachio. You'd have this white stripe that was pretty much vanilla bean and you'd have red, which is traditionally cherry. 
ne- uh, Neapolitan ice cream sort of got moved around when it sort of found its legs in, in North America and is now was much easier to make chocolate rather than pistachio, vanilla, right. and strawberry. So many people might have that in their mind. Moon Mist is the cosmic cousin of that, if you will. <laughs> it is purple, banana, and blue. And there's two recipes. Most time, you'll find the yellow being banana flavor. The purple will be grape flavor. And then there's another little sort of mix on the, in the last one, which will be blue. It will either be a blue raspberry or a bubble gum. The bubble gum, of course, and banana and grape is just a, you know, a sensory overload of sweet and delicious flavors. But the blue raspberry typically is a little bit more of my favorite when I look for it. And again, you can find it at local ice cream parlors. There's a couple of local dairies that are producing it for the grocery trade. Um, but the grape banana and blueberry moon mist ice cream is incredible. If you're lucky enough to find one with the blueberry or the, excuse me, the blue, the bubble gum, a lot of bees this morning, hmm. the bubble gum. Um, it's, uh, like I said, it's, you need to sit down after the sweet, but it's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. It sounds almost like a kid's flavor. I, I, I don't know how sold I'd be on the bubble gum, but the raspberry one, I would definitely be on board with that one. So, uh, sign me up for a triple scoop of the, uh, moon mist when I, when I get oh, to Oh, I don't discussion. know if you want to go triple scoops there, Brent. <laughs> oh, really? That's uh, going to be overload, overload it's to a the... Fair, it's a fair bit, but it's a summer staple. It's, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a great little scoop to enjoy somewhere along your Nova Scotia and maritime, uh, travels here in Canada. One last thing before we let you go, Kevin, uh, all this great food, uh, how do I wash it down? Do we, do we drink beer in the Maritimes or do we drink uh, cider? What's, what's the most popular local drink? Um, it's a little bit of both. And actually, I would even add wine in there as well. One of the great things about Nova Scotia, as I mentioned, with sort of being surrounded by water, most of it, you have these sort of internal parts of the province that are provided a different sort of ecosystem and growing region. So certainly on Halifax and on the east side, it's the maritime quality, it's local craft beer, spectacular efforts. But there's been a lot of cider production. There's a lot of apples that are grown across the province. Um, Nova Scotia's long tradition of having sort of apples being the first um, fruit plants being added into, um, you know, orchards across the province, lots of distinctive ciders. One of my favorites is called No Boats on Sunday. Um, it's got a little bit more of a national push now, but you can find these local cideries, beer for sure. But then in the Wolfville area of Nova Scotia, we're producing some of the best wine on the East Coast as well. So I think that almost from anywhere, Nova Scotia is represented um, perfectly between craft beer, craft cider, and some really fantastic wine. So we're going to be spoiled for choices in Nova Scotia. Fantastic. Um, Kevin Durkee, been a pleasure talking to you again about Canada. It's it's always so fascinating and eye-opening when I talk to you. So uh, thank you for being on the podcast. We'll have a link to your company, Culinary Adventure Company, in the show notes so that folks can get in touch with you when they're planning a visit to Canada and sign up for one of your great tours. And thanks again for being on the podcast. Love to have you on again sometime to talk more Canada food. My pleasure, Brent. I appreciate it. We've done Halifax. And now we've got to head to the West Coast for Vancouver, the uh, inner BC and into Victoria. So we'll show what's happening there. And maybe even sometime we'll get to the center of our incredible country as well for Winnipeg and Manitoba. Lots to talk about. Always a pleasure. Okay, there you go. Put Nova Scotia on the list immediately.
I've got a link to Kevin and the Culinary Adventure Company in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED189. Don't miss next week's show. We'll be in Galway, Ireland with a very special guest and brown bread, beer, and limericks. Until then, check out DestinationEatDrink.com. Just posted a story about the fascinating portraits in the streets of Alfama, Lisbon. You can get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. And if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor, rate and review us on your podcast app. And a big thank you from me to you on that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And a guy who wants his tri-flavored ice cream to be blue cheese, seaweed, and donair sauce, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.